0: Hey, good morning. Uh, we're in James and uh, we've been in James for seven weeks and uh, the reason that we continue to remain in James is because James was writing originally to encourage Christians uh, in an increasingly hostile world to uh, remain faithful and uh, to not give themselves over to the presumed comforts of this world. And thousands of years later, uh, we look at our world today and realize that this encouragement is still uh, very relevant, that the encouragements that James is giving uh, the early church uh, apply to you and I, that we've got to maintain our faith in Christ uh, amidst uh, an increasingly hostile world. And so uh, over the last seven weeks, we've looked at uh, trials and maturity. We've looked at hearing and doing. We've looked at kindness and favoritism, faith and works, blessings and curses, Proud and humble, oppressor and laborer. And this morning, uh, we come to an interesting, uh, I guess, spot in the book of James. It's a, a couple of lines that uh, come in James 5, and it's talking about help and healing. The reality that you and I, uh, at different phases and stages of our lives, need help, and we need healing. In fact, I would argue that most of us, if not all of us, at some level in our lives need help, and uh, at some level, at some point, we all need healing. And so James is talking to us today. James is giving us some common questions with very clear and bold answers. In James 5.13, he starts this way. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. If you're suffering, you should pray. If you are suffering, the follow-up should be that you Pray. I don't know about you, but when I'm suffering, I typically want to wallow in my suffering. Prayer is not the first thing that comes to my mind. The first thing that comes to my mind is alleviating my suffering. The second thing comes to mind, I want everyone to know that I'm suffering so that they can commiserate with me. When you are suffering, if anyone is suffering, he should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they should pray over him after anointing him with oil in the name of Jesus. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will restore him to health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Each of James's challenges to pray are actually imperatives in the original language. They're commands. If you're suffering, you better pray. If you're joyful, you better sing. If you're sick, You better invite the community in and let's pray, let's petition God. But what this does to me is this implies that believers weren't praying, they weren't singing, they weren't inviting others to come and lay hands on them and pray. We don't have to be reminded of the things that we know we're supposed to do. That James is reminding us here because they're not doing it, he's reminding us here because we're not doing it. That this is true for most, if not all, believers. And church communities today, as we struggle with consistency in prayer, we struggle with this need to bring others in in our suffering, we struggle to sing praises when we're cheerful, we wrestle with this even today. But what God's aim to do is to help us understand the great power that comes from prayer, the great power that comes from singing praises, the great power that comes from inviting others uh, to pray alongside of us, that there's great power that is harnessed when we pray, that the, he, the, the maker of heaven and earth, God Almighty, turns his focus and his attention towards you and me when we pray. He hears our prayers. Now, the word pray in this context is in the present tense, it's not in the past tense. If you're suffering, you should have prayed. No, he's saying, if you're suffering, pray. If you're suffering, let him keep on praying. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't pray for a minute. Realize that it's not going to happen immediately and then stop. Don't get despondent. Don't get disappointed. Don't give up. Keep on praying because God does nothing but an answer to prayer. That he hears us and if we ask according to his will, he answers us. If anyone is suffering, let him keep on praying. And so today, uh, today we're going to ask God to do what he's already promised us he would do, which is the miraculous. We're going to ask God to do what he already promised us he would do, and that is heal the sick, that is uh, alleviate the suffering, that is to be near to us. And not only are we going to ask for healing, but we're going to petition God to show his might and, and to uh, once again prove to us that he is for us and he is with us because as a church, as followers of Christ, we are not cessationists. You might be a cessationist, but the collective we, we do not believe that the gifts ended. We believe that God still moves, and he still works, and he still heals. We still believe that the miraculous can be done. And sometimes we need a reminder. Sometimes we need to remind one another. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves that God is still working in the world today, and he's still working in our hearts and in our lives. And the idea of asking for healing, uh, depending on how you grew up, can feel kind of weird. I grew up in the 90s, uh, and I grew up in an overtly charismatic environment, and so uh, I grew up going to, like, Benny Hinn. If you're not familiar, don't Google it later. Uh, I, I grew up, like, televangelist in the height of, uh, you know, flash and dash and, and fancy suits, and, and I'm trying to bring it back, but I thought I'd start with just tucking my shirt in. Uh, there's this idea that uh, there was a point in time in, in, our, in our legacy of, of faith that, uh, some things were happening and we couldn't explain it, you know. It was, it was flashy. It was, uh, it, it was wild. And, and so uh, we, we take this image, if you've grown up with that or you've seen that or you've seen it mocked in film, we, we take this image and we go, I don't want that. And it's easy to define what we don't want, and it's harder to define what we do want. And so as a church, as a big C church collectively, we kind of all went, I don't want that anymore. We're not going to swing our coats and, you know, have swaths of people fall and all this stuff. We We don't have to have that. I mean, it's not that maybe God's not in it, but that's not the conversation today. The idea is that we don't want that. And so what we've done is the big C churches, we've overcorrected by and large, and said, well, maybe God doesn't even heal, or maybe we don't talk about it, or maybe we don't invite Him to do it, because we don't want it to look like this. maybe we walk completely away from it, And there's a balance. And I believe we have a responsibility as followers of Christ, to hold God at His word, to, to find Scripture, to stand firm on it, and to believe that it's the same yesterday today, and forever, and if God healed thousands of years ago, then why will we believe that He doesn't still heal? Today, that if he was working and moving thousands of years ago, we have to believe that he's still working and moving today. And so what we do is we realize that we've walked away from inviting God to heal, and what we've done in the process is we've become more self-reliant, I'm a little sick, I'll take some medicine. I'm not feeling well, I'll see a doctor. And there's nothing wrong with that and I'm not here to speak against any of that. As my wife pursues medicine uh, professionally, I, I'm not here to talk against it because sometimes God uses those things and many times we see that he uses our intellect and, and our um, ability to, uh, to, to help and to, to self-heal and, and work. But by and large, our reliance is on self and it's less on God. And so we can pursue other things, medical attention, but we need to pray in the process, God, God work, God move, God heal. And many of us don't know if God would have healed us in the process of getting medical attention because we haven't asked. And that's exactly what James deals with. He says many of us, we aren't healed because we simply haven't asked. He said too many times we underestimate the power of God. We underestimate the reality that he's working and moving. And in James 4, 2, it says you desire and you do not have. You murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war. You don't have. Why? Because you don't ask. Yeah, it wasn't rhetorical, but that's okay. We don't have because we don't ask. And we've already wrestled with this passage in the past, but I think it's pertinent to bring back up as James is talking about this reality that we need healing, that if we're suffering, we should pray. He's saying, we don't have because we didn't ask. And some of us go, oh yeah, that's true. I was expecting God to do something. I didn't even... Bring up before him. I was expecting God to just carve out a path for me that doesn't involve any pain or suffering, that doesn't involve any problems. And, and, and I didn't even think to pray, I didn't even think to ask. And James says the most common problem in prayer is that we simply didn't ask. Or perhaps we ask with all the wrong motives. And often what happens in prayer is that we make plans and then we invite God to bless those plans, we make a schedule. We make an itinerary. I come up with a really beautiful pathway out of whatever suffering I'm in. And I say, all right, God, do that. And God doesn't always operate the way that I'd like him to. That many times my prayers are simply asking God to do what I want him to do. And instead of saying, God, do what it is that you do best, that our prayers become the most powerful when we allow God to change our desires so that they match his. That I'm not asking God to do something he doesn't desire to do. That God desires to take care of us. Now, sometimes that comes in different ways. And we also have to realize that God, at at the very core, is more concerned about your soul and your eternity than he is in this temporary existence that we call life. And so a lot of us want temporary relief from life's suffering, but not eternal uh, relief. And so we're more concerned about the moment here than we are eternity. And God's saying, no, no, it's all about eternity. It's all about your future, And there are times when he has us walk through moments here on earth to uh, uh, somehow in his way help prepare us for eternity. And there's times when we have to walk through things. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. There are moments when we deal with things and wrestle with things, and God allows those. And I don't understand why, but in his infinite wisdom, he is more focused on our eternity than he is in our moment. And our focus is more often uh, than not in this moment. And so when we ask ourselves, yeah, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God to do what he does, but what I want him to do is to eliminate this. I'm not as concerned about this. And he's going, no, 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 it's all about eternity. Trust in me, trust the process, pray, ask, seek, knock, but know that ultimately I'm going to do what's best for you and your soul. And sometimes that means the things that we pray for don't, don't, uh, don't work out the way we want. The healing that we want ends up being eternal healing through passing away, but even in death, God gets the victory. That even in the process of praying and, and having to go through chemo or having to, to go through this or having to walk through that, God is still good. And he wants to remind us that his ultimate goal for our lives is for us to spend eternity with him. And though there is some alleviating of temporary suffering, even in our suffering, he's near us and he's with us. But I'm too impatient. Just in general, I'm an, somewhat of an impatient person, you know, like, I'm constantly reminding all the drivers on the road that the left lane is the passing slash fast lane and the right lane is for you to slow and get out of my way, right? I'm impatient and God keeps reminding me that my impatience filters into my relationship with him, that my desire to get everything that I want in the moment and to, to grow a church and have this and have that, I want it all now and God keeps reminding me that my impatience in life filters into my faith. And when I become impatient with God, I don't continue to pray. I'll pray. God's too slow. I'll figure it out. Right? Because we would rather work and manufacture and process and do than we would to pray. And God keeps saying, no, it's time to pray and to keep on praying. And he desires to meet our needs, but it's in his time. And that's the most frustrating part. We give up on God when, and we start finding other ways to, to not need him. And I'm not saying we don't seek medical attention and we just keep praying. you got to keep doing those things and God uses those things. And we don't need to, we need to be wise, but also we have to keep praying God. God, I need you to do this. I need you to do this in my life. And in Mark 3, we find some remarkable and, and, and strange sort of healing story. And I like remarkable and strange, Uh, so I think this story is a fascinating way for us to learn a little bit about what God wants to do from the book of Mark. In Mark 3, verse 1, it says, now Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a paralyzed hand, and in order to accuse him, they, the Pharisees, were watching Jesus closely to see whether Jesus would heal this man on the Sabbath. He told the man with the paralyzed hand, Jesus did, he said, stand before us. Then he said to them, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good or to do what is evil, to save life or to kill? But the Pharisees were silent. After looking around at them with anger and sorrow at the hardness of their heart, Jesus told the man, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched his hand out and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Can you imagine living your life so regimented and so regulated that you aligned yourself with rules that prohibited healing of the physical body in the, in the synagogue by the Son of God on the Sabbath? And yet so many of us live with a box so small that we want to put God in and go, that's how he's going to work, and that's how he's going to operate. And even though we may not limit him and say we can't heal on the Sabbath, we all have limitations that we placed on God at certain levels. And even though the Pharisees are wrong in this, they're trying to catch Jesus, and they're trying to trick him, and they're plotting against him, and they're going, oh, look, we caught you healing somebody on Sabbath in the synagogue. We all have our own things. Every one of us could find ourselves in that moment where we go, this is how God should work and this is how God should not work. But what Jesus does is he takes a mundane moment and he turns it into an unforgettable time. Jesus was in the synagogue. He says he's been there many times. He says he was there again. Now, there's no account of other healings that have happened uh, in, in recent, and so we can assume that there have been multiple gatherings, much like this one where we come in, we sing songs, we, we, uh, we, we uh, hear teaching, and we uh, break bread together, and we walk through the moment, and then we move on to the next one, and they're not necessarily extraordinary, even though I think it's extraordinary that you're here. Uh, they're, they're, they're somewhat uh, forgettable in some ways, even though you'll never forget this preaching. Uh, there's this idea, though, that when Jesus steps in, there are moments that seem regular and normal. And in just a second, Jesus turns him into something divine and unforgettable. I don't know about you, but I want that moment. I don't know if it's now, I don't know if it's today, I don't know if it's next week or the next week. I know I've been in those moments. I know in my life, I've been in those moments where things seemed regular and average and everything was going the way. And then Jesus showed up in a way that I've never seen him show up. And it was unforgettable. That wasn't Benny Hinn, by the way. But it was Jesus in a moment where you never forget what happens. And I want that moment But see, what I know about the miraculous is I can't plan for it, but I can prepare for it. I can't say it's going to happen at this day and this time. Hey, everybody, come join me on the 30th, and and Jesus is going to show up in a way you never imagined, right? So come gather your friends, but what I can do is I can prepare my heart every day for the miraculous. I can open my life up to the reality that God's not done with me, that he wants to do something in me and through me that's never been done, that he wants to do something so that the world can see the magnitude of God. And every day I can prepare, God, is today the day you want to do the miraculous. It's today the day you want to do something to astound others we can prepare for, it, but we can't plan for it. And the first thing that we find uh, when God steps into this moment is that we find this commonality in many other passages where in order to find healing, we have to Find Jesus. Finding Jesus is an essential part of finding help and finding healing. Throughout Scripture, we find that men and women who needed healing they went looking for Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood, she found Jesus in the street. She touched just the hem of his garment and she was healed. Jerry is his daughter. She dies. It's over. Death is the end, right? He goes and finds Jesus, and guess what happens? It's back to life. Here we find a paralyzed man. uh, uh, He he can't move. His friends, they gather him up on a stretcher and they pack him to the house. They can't get in the house. It's full. What do they do? They climb to the roof. They cut a hole in the roof. They lower him down. This is crazy. They find Jesus. He's healed. That Every scenario and circumstance throughout Scripture has one commonality. We find Jesus. Make no mistake about it. Jesus does the healing. But our role is to find Jesus. We have a responsibility in our lives. We have an opportunity in our daily uh, habits to find Jesus. Finding Jesus is the key ingredient to finding healing. And there are uh, a few, if any, exceptions, but the majority of healings in the scriptures come from faith in Christ, from finding Jesus. And in Mark 3.1, Jesus was uh, entering the synagogue and a man was there who had a paralyzed hand. So there's a lot of people in the room and they're all there for different reasons. And I don't know why some of them showed up. We know the Pharisees came to try to catch Jesus in the act of healing on the Sabbath. So their motives were clear. And we know that there's a man with a paralyzed hand. We don't know if it's shriveled. Other scriptures say, uh, other versions say shriveled. We don't know if it's missing, cut off. We don't know if it's a birth defect. All we know is that there are some Pharisees who are there to catch Jesus in the act. And there's a man with a paralyzed hand there. And we can only assume that he's there for healing. We can only assume that he came because there's a chance encounter with Jesus in that moment. And just maybe in this moment, God would see fit to heal him. And so there he is. There were religious people that were convinced that Jesus shouldn't heal. And then there was a man who had some belief, some hope, some expectation. But everybody in this moment is here for different reasons. Some of you are here because this is just what you do on Sundays. Some of you are here because it's hotter out there than it is in here, and you might want to save on your air conditioner, right? Some of you are here because you need community. But I hope at the core of our hearts, all of us are here because we need Jesus. We don't need to hear another song or hear another sermon. We do encounter Jesus. And even though we can encounter Jesus out there, what I know about us collectively is there's something powerful about gathering together. We need Jesus at our core. And even though we can't plan for the extraordinary, we can prepare for it. And this is part of our preparation time where we remind one another that we need Jesus. Through the Eucharist, we remind one another that we need one another, that we're preparing our hearts to encounter a, a, a week that starts uh, today and, and we go out and, into a world that's harsh and, and difficult. This is part of our preparation. And, and in my life, uh, if I find it to be miraculous, that's because I've prepared. And if you look at my life, or I look at your life, and your life is miraculous and mine's not, it's not because of anything that's happened, it's because you prepare for it and I have not That we live our lives in pursuit of our desires. And if we desire Jesus, then we'll live our lives in pursuit of him. And if we we'll live our lives in pursuit of him, we will find the miraculous will transpire in and around us more often than if you desire to have an encounter with Jesus, find him. And part of coming here is our pursuit for Jesus together. This is our action step, where we declare boldly that we need Christ, and we're here to find Jesus and to discover what it is that he wants to do. So if you need something from him, don't leave until you get it. Don't quit. Don't grow weary. Find Jesus. Another commonality among people who have divine encounters with Jesus is they stand up. Standing up seems like a really simple process, but it's an action that is a a bold statement that we declare with our lives, with our muscles, with our legs, that we are standing up in need of help. And in Mark 3, Jesus told the man with the paralyzed hand, stand before us. Now, I don't know what your circumstances are in your life, but I know in moments we have things that we're not proud of, brokenness, pain, hurt, sickness, Suffering untold, paralysis, whatever. And our natural inclination, when we're going through suffering or brokenness or untold pain, is to not stand up. If I have something I'm not proud of, I don't want to be called out for it. I don't want it to be obvious to everyone else. And I think this is one of the problems in the context of uh, church and following Christ, is so many of us feel like we're islands. I'm going through something. I must go through it alone. I don't want to stand up. I don't want to look bad. I don't want God to look bad. That's the spiritual side of it. We go, I don't want to make God look bad. So if I'm not well, I don't want to stand up. And yet the very thing that Jesus does with the person who may have been the most crippled in the room, we don't know, is he calls them to the forefront of everyone's attention. He says, stand up. Don't sit back. Don't hide out. Stand up. He says, stand before us. And then he said to them, to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good or to do what is evil, to save life or to kill it, but they were silent. Yes, they were silent in that moment, and after looking around at them with anger and sorrow at the hardness of their hearts, Jesus told the man, stretch out your hand. Not only did he tell him to stand, all eyes on him, he said, stretch out your hand. Take the very thing that you've probably spent the majority of your life hiding, making excuses for, feeling embarrassed about, stretch it out, display it before Everyone in the space. It's amazing what we as human beings are willing to stand up for. We don't mind to go uh, on, on, on record for uh, politicians and for restaurants or uh, for fashion or whatever. We'll stand up for various things But they're usually things that try to make us look better. Nobody posts, you know, sad things on their Instagram. It's generally like trying to look better than your life really is because that's the image we want to portray. Can you imagine God calling you out and asking you to stand up in front of everyone and then pointing out the very thing that you're most ashamed of? This is the moment this man is finding himself and Jesus asked the man to stretch out his arm, the thing he'd spent his life hiding. He says, no, I don't want you to hide it anymore. God doesn't want us to hide our brokenness. He's inviting us to stand up and to display it. And we think often that our pain and our dysfunction and our brokenness and our disease is embarrassing. We think that it makes us look weak or it makes God look weak. And so often we're willing to hide our pain and our brokenness. We want to look bad. We don't want God to look bad. We make excuses for God. I find myself all the time going, well, it's just because of this or that or whatever. We make excuses. But God doesn't need us to make excuses for Him. As it turns out, he does not need us to make him look good or bad. As it turns out, our brokenness and our pain is actually proof that God is alive. He wants to reveal our brokenness. He wants to reveal our pain. He wants to reveal our insecurities because we become God's proof of life. If we hide our brokenness, others can't celebrate our recovery. If we hide our suffering, others can't celebrate alongside us when that suffering is alleviated. That Jesus finds our brokenness and he calls it to the forefront. He isn't embarrassed or ashamed of our brokenness. He isn't embarrassed or ashamed of you. Jesus walks into a room full of people and he finds the one who needs him the most. This characteristic runs through the miraculous. It's a refusal to be left behind. It's a refusal to stay seated. It's a refusal to uh, not allow God to use our life as a testimony of his goodness. God wants us to stretch out our hands so that others can see that he's going to work. He's going to move. We are proof of God's life. Someone says, hey, does God exist? Where's, Where's your proof that God's real? Your proof. I'm proof. The fact that we're here, we're alive, we're breathing is proof that God is working and moving. And if you're struggling with anxiety or depression or financial destitute or uh, whatever sickness, whatever untold suffering, you could put a name and a title on it. Know that that is God's opportunity to work in your heart to prove to the world that if he can work on you, he can work on all of us. If he can move in you, he can move in anyone. That we, when we hide our brokenness, deny God the opportunity to prove that he is alive and well and working among us. We've got to stand up. But see, the choice is yours and mine. When he calls the man with the shriveled hand, when he calls him to stand up, he could have chose otherwise. He could have been like, I'm going to sneak out the back. I'm not doing this, not today. I was hoping to just get some healing and get out. I don't want to stand up. And he could have snuck out. He could have have sat down a little deeper or whatever. I mean, he could have walked away. See, you and I have this moment in our lives to either stand up or shrink back. We can hide or continue to hide our sin and our brokenness and our pain and our suffering. And we can move forward like that, and we do. A lot of us do. Many of us, if not all of us, do that. Because the reality is all of us are suffering at some level. All of us are dealing with something. Everyone in our community, the people we pass, we're all dealing with stuff. but We're really good about hiding it, suppressing it, putting on a smile and pretending everything's okay. And you can keep doing that. But just know that God wants to call you to the forefront, to stand up. There's an action step. He says, if you'll reveal your brokenness, then watch how your brokenness can lead others to Christ. See, everything, even to the point of death, points people to how good Jesus is. Jesus is good and if we'll stop denying what he's doing in our hearts, others will see the goodness of God as well. When we reach a point of no return, the choice is ours. We will go forward or step back. We have to come to a place where we're going forward. And going forward is, is less dangerous than going backwards. We've got to look at this like, I've got to step up. I've got to stretch out my hands because it's more dangerous to stay living the way that I've been living. But the problem for so many of us is that we have so many disappointments in our lives that we feel like this is just going to be one more. We expect failure. When we hear the words of James where he says, if you're suffering, pray, we go, I tried that. If anyone's suffering, just keep praying, don't quit. I did that once. I did that twice. Didn't work. I'll do it again, but I just know I'm going to get the same thing, right? Because that's how we are. We're preconditioned to expect the same results over and over and over. You may have thought you would have been healed at one point. You may have thought there would have been a relief. You may have thought God would have moved and he didn't. And we just expect that every time because you and I build this box of expectations and we say that's what God can do and he can't do anything beyond that. And when we encounter issues and problems in our life and we go, I need God to come through in a big way. Well, he's never really come through in that way before. So he's just back in this box again. And what I know about your life and mine is the expectations are the ceiling of the miraculous. As long as our expectations are low, God's limited by our faith. What are we going to do? What are we going to expect him to do if we keep putting him in a box and many of us, we lose hope and we develop fear. And some of us uh, experience uh, this, this letdown all the time. And we keep going, well, God can't be real or God can't work or God can't move because he just keeps letting me down. We've tried hope, we've tried faith, we've tried healing and it didn't work. And, 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 and even though you're not going to get everything that you ask for or expect, I know that your expectations will be the ceiling and you'll never get anything beyond that. And so if nothing else this morning My petition to to us as a community of faith is let's increase our expectations of what God's capable of doing. If we always expect little from God, then why should we be surprised when we get little? He wants to enlarge our territory. He wants to enlarge our expectations. He wants to increase our faith in Him. And many situations don't change because we don't ever expect them to change. If our expectation is that God's not gonna work and move, then why are we shocked when we receive exactly what we ask for? The reason God wants to change your life is not simply for you, but he wants you to stand up. He wants to work in your life and through your life so that others can believe in him as well. We are God's proof of life, and he's saying, increase your expectations, increase your faith, and watch how I move. That Jesus did not come to, to make your life a little better, though. He's not a therapist. He came to revolutionize our life. So what areas of your life does he need to revolutionize? What does he need to turn upside down? What does he need to overhaul? What needs healing? What needs help? The last attribute that we find among people who have a divine encounter with Jesus is that they believe. They believe. We find that they find Jesus, they stand up, and then they believe. I believe the question that God is asking you today is do you believe that he's working? Do you believe that he's moving? Do you believe that he can heal? In Matthew 8, 13, Jesus told the centurion soldier, go as you have believed Let it be done for you. And his servant was cured that very moment. Matthew 9, 2, just then some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat, seeing their faith. Jesus told the paralytic, have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. Matthew 9, 20, just then a woman who had suffering with bleeding for 12 years approached him from behind. She touched the tassel on his robe and she said to herself, if I could just touch his robe, I'll be made well. But Jesus turned and saw her, have courage, daughter. He said, your faith has made you well, And that woman was made well from that moment. Matthew 9, 27, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men following him, shouting, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men approached him and said to them, do you believe that I can do this? Yes, Lord, they answered. Then he touched their eyes, saying, let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. That if Jesus was healing several thousand years ago, why don't you think you could do it today? Because we haven't seen it? It's a box. We haven't seen it, so God must not do it. But also have we asked for it? Anxiety, depression, cancer, whatever life in this broken, fallen world brings your way, do we really believe that God is greater? Or have we allowed our disappointments and our failures and the mistakes in life to, to beat our belief out of us? That there's no promise on healing Well, there is a promise. We'll be healed in this life for the next. There's healing here and now, or there's healing in eternity. And we all know many people who've gone through this. Uh, We just had a call this morning, at a 7 a.m. call uh, from uh, the Wilhite family. Catherine Wilhite went to be with the Lord this morning at 6, I think, 30. Uh, That was the ultimate healing. She received the ultimate healing healing and we'll have her funeral this week and, and I'll administer uh, the message and my implor, I will implore everyone to go, this was not a loss, this was a gain for heaven. Her faithfulness is a legacy. You and I have the same opportunity to go, do I get healed in this life or next? Either way, we're healed and in the process, God is still good. He's still working and He's still moving and everything that we go through, our suffering and our pain and our lament is God's opportunity to be near us and even in our worst moments, we can look up and go, God is with me. He hasn't left me. He hasn't abandoned me. But he's with us. And the testimony of faith is that God never leaves us. He's not worried about our brokenness. He's not ashamed about uh, our our pain or suffering. He's with us. And he's working even when we can't see it. And in James 5.14 it says, if anyone's sick among you, he should call for the elders of the church and they should pray over him after anointing him with oil in the name of Jesus. There's this clear call for us to stop hiding, to stand up and allow the community around us to lay hands on us and pray. This physical involvement, this getting in on the inner workings of each other's lives, our pain, our suffering, our, 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 our sadness, our, our sickness. This is an invitation to not walk through this by yourself but to bring it to us, for us as a community of faith to rally together around one another and petition God On behalf of those that are in need. That that is the call that God's placed before us. Can we we stand up? Can we believe? Can we trust that God's working? Can we bring our needs before us? And invite God to do the miraculous. I don't know what you need this morning. But I know the one who can meet those needs. I don't know what God wants to do. But I know that we can prepare our hearts for God to do whatever it is that he desires to do. And in the process, he's good So whatever it is that we walk through, God is good. But this morning, I feel like it's an opportunity for us to just ask God to meet the needs that are in our lives. So if you would, across the room, let's bow our heads and close our eyes today. And if you're here and you need healing I don't know what that sickness might look like. I don't know what that need might be. It might be physical, it might be mental, it might be financial, it might be relational, it could be anything uh, and, and everything. I don't know what you need from God today, but what I do believe is that he's here. I believe he's here. And I believe that if he's here and we're asking, he's faithful. And so across the room, I'm just going to invite you, if you need something from God, I want to invite you just to stand up. I'm not going to ask you what it is, and I'm not going to call you out, but I'm going to ask you just to stand up. So across the room, if you need something from God, I want to invite you just to stand. And we're going to pray together. We're gonna pray and we're gonna ask God to move in your life in a way that you need to see him move as a testimony of his faithfulness, as a testimony of his goodness, as a testimony that he is still alive and working today in the tangible ways. We're gonna ask him to meet those needs. If you're sitting around someone who's standing, if you wanna put your hand on them or stretch your hand towards them as, as the scriptures have invited us to do, let's, let's uh, put hands on or stretch hands towards and let's pray. Father in heaven, in this moment, I don't know how or when or what you're going to do, but I believe that you are good and you love us and you care for us and you desire to work in our lives as a testimony of your goodness. We're standing this morning. As an act of faith, we're standing to say we need something from you. And we trust that you are good. You are the miracle worker. So work your miracles in us. Whatever that need, may it be a testimony of your ability to work and move because you are greater. We believe that you are greater than whatever we're going through. So we stand firm on our faith. We stand firm in the reality that you love us and want to care for us. And so, Father, we praise you in advance for meeting this need. We praise you in advance for the work that you're doing. And we celebrate in advance. We move from, uh, from, being, from suffering and praying to rejoicing and singing. So, Father, move us to a life that walks and, and lives in faith. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the testimonies that come from our goodness. But, God, we don't stop praying now. This isn't a one-time prayer, but this is a moment to be reminded that we have to pray consistently, pray fervently to petition you, to pursue you, to prepare for whatever moment it might be for you to heal us. It might be in this life, and it might be in eternity, but we trust, and we believe, and we pray. So, Father, we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.